Hello, everybody. It is so good to be here. I love this place. Yeah, I know you're clapping because God is awesome, and I'm glad that he brought us here. Um, so some of you may not know me because you're new here. My name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and for the last seven weeks, I've been on a sabbatical, an intentional uh, break from the regular rhythms of ministry just to invest in my family to do some side projects, uh, some side ministry type stuff, and it has been such a blessing. So first off, I want to thank the staff and the elders uh, for sending us, giving this time uh, just for my family to connect. It has been wonderful and amazing. We have a, a thing here at Grace where we're trying to do sabbaticals, but do them proactively. So not like, oh, I'm ready to quit. Well, maybe go on a sabbatical. You can come back and serve another seven years. We try to do them proactively uh, to keep our families healthy. And I'm, I'm definitely, after experiencing my first sabbatical, after being here eight years, I'm definitely going to be a, a champion for the other pastors. It's such a good thing. So probably be the biggest blessing. My family had me undistracted, uninterrupted for seven weeks, which was such a huge blessing. So technically, I still did stuff, but as far as getting distracted by the, the random call and text and, and tech issue and stuff, I just avoided. So my family had me. It was awesome. I feel like my marriage and family are as strong as they've ever been. So praise God for that. Um, I was able to work on some things. I have a song that I'm working on. It's not ready yet. I wish it was ready because I want to I share it with you. I want our church to sing it. I'm not trying to write a hit song for every church to sing, but I've been looking for a song within all the other songwriters, and I can't find a song that articulates this. So I'm working on one, and I hope to share with you soon. You can keep praying for that process. Uh, I read some great books. Uh, obviously, a couple of those were worship because I love worship ministry, and God continues to kind of cement that vision of being a church where we, we recognize uh, worshipers and, and then build them up and equip them and send them out to be a blessing at other churches. And I've been able to do that a couple times, and I, I really hope that we continue with that vision of just raising up, equipping, sending out that our worshipers would then bless other churches and then reproduce that way. Uh, during the sabbatical, uh, we visited seven other churches we visited bigger churches than Grace and smaller churches and churches that are a little more liturgical, if that makes any sense to you, in their order of service, and churches that are much more Pentecostal and, and free-flowing and don't necessarily have much structure. And we visited churches with great biblical preaching, and we went to a couple churches where uh, a couple verses were quoted, but it really felt like a, like a TED Talk. <laughs> so I'm thankful to the commitment to preach God's Word here. Uh, went to some churches where there was uh, just a great roar of worshipers singing praise of the Lord, and it was beautiful. And a couple other churches where it felt like a performance. And really looking around, Mary and I are like, are we supposed to sing right now? Because like nobody else is. I'm, I'm confused. And we, it was supposed to be corporate worship time. It felt kind of like an American Idol audition. And I'm, I'm so thankful to be here. Uh, I love this church. I love coming back, feeling even more healthy, not that I was terrible when I left, but feeling ready to go and hopefully serve this church for years to come with a staff that I, that I love dearly and a church, you all, brothers and sisters in Christ, that I love dearly. So thankful to be back. One of the coolest things about sabbatical was uh, on those weeks where we're going to other churches, all right, kids, we're going to go visit so-and-so, this church. Oh, Dad, can we just go to Grace? We love Grace. Don't make us go to another church every Sunday. Every Sunday that we were around here and they didn't have a choice and Grace was at least within driving distance. 
What a blessing, though, that my kids are like, please, can we get back to our church? They love it. So I am so thankful for that. That's one of the things that just makes me smile huge. Um, yeah, so that's really not why we're here. Yeah, I know you want to hear more about my sabbatical, and there'll, there'll be time for that, but that's not why we gather on Sunday mornings for me to report to you about how everything went. We're going to dive into God's Word because we believe in the power of God's Word with the Holy Spirit to convict us and, and change us and shape us and equip us in the people that we're supposed to be so we can do the good works that God has called us to do. So I want to dive into Second Chronicles chapter 20. I have never preached an Old Testament narrative, so this is my first time preaching an Old Testament narrative. So chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, if you have your Bibles or your devices, you can go to them now. So I actually I chose this because I love how worship is used as warfare. I love how the singing is connected with their salvation. I got one more for you. I love how their voices are connected with the victory that they have. Um, but in studying the passage, that's really not the biggest takeaway I think that we need to get from this. So we're going to dive in uh, because really this is a chapter of how a godly king reacts and responds when war threatens at his doorstep. The enemy is seek him, seeking him and Judah. We're going to see how he responds. So we're going to dive in. And I know I said chapter 20, but I want to build just a little bit of context. So we have King Jehoshaphat. He's part of the southern kingdom of Judah. This is after the split. Israel, northern kingdom, lots of terrible kings, lots of idolatry, not following the Lord. Southern kingdom of Judah. You've got some great kings. You've got some bad kings and, and some good, like, okay, good type kings. Jehoshaphat is one of those good kings. Uh, from chapter 17, verse 3, this is how it describes him. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father, David. He did not seek the Baals. He was not seeking wisdom and seeking to worship other gods, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. I'd love to be described like that. Courageous in the ways of the Lord. And furthermore, he took the high places in the ashram out of Judah. So the high places, the ashram, they had places where they went to worship false gods. And Jehoshaphat helped to get rid of these places. Some good moves. Um, in Jehoshaphat's third year as king, he sent out teachers and priests, Levites, to teach God's word so that they would know him and follow him. Another great move. Uh, at one point... In his life, he allied with King Ahab from Israel, who was a terrible king, and this was one of his bad moves. Almost has lost his life for it. But after that, we see him seeking the Lord again and doing more reforms. Uh, at one point, he appointed judges all over Judah, and he said, judge with the fear of God. Judge rightly, judge uh, upright. Good move again. Uh, after his alliance with Ahab, Scripture says, you destroyed the Asherah, out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. So then finally we make it to chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are at Hezazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. So there's an enemy, and they're near. There's a few things that I want to point out that aren't immediately apparent just in these first few verses. So first, there's a threat. 
coming upon Jehoshaphat, and he's walking with the Lord. He's seeking after the Lord. Now, I point this out because sometimes we think, if I'm seeking the Lord, like the enemy is going to stop fighting me, right? Things are going to get easy, and life's going to be great, as maybe some teachers teach out there. Well, that's, that's not the case. That's not true. Um, so if you're seeking the Lord and you feel like you're facing one of the worst battles of your life, don't, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. God allows us to go through these things to test us to grow our faith even deeper. The second thing that I notice is uh, that these enemies that are coming against them are enemies that the Lord said, don't destroy. So when Israel came into the promised land, there was many nations that God drove out and he even commanded several times, destroy them because they're going to influence your ways and they're going to intermarry and bring you into all sorts of idol worship and idolatry. But the Ammonites, Moabites, these, they're, they're like right on the edge of where you're inheriting land and I don't want you to destroy them. Leave them there because they have a possession. This is Lot's descendants. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9. Do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Similarly, Deuteronomy 2.19 to the Ammonites, same thing. Don't harass them. Don't go to war with them. So these people that they didn't go to war with, they left there, are now coming against Judah. Thanks. <laughs> We didn't destroy them, and now they're returning the favor. This is generations later, but it's interesting to note that it's enemies that they didn't destroy that are now coming against them. And the third thing that I see, uh, at least it's a principle in Scripture, and I think I see it here too, is that sometimes we need other people in our lives to see things that we don't see and maybe see, hey, there's, there's this battle that maybe you're not aware of, but it's like on your doorstep, and you've got some things here that you're going to have to wrestle with and figure out how you're attacking that and how you're fighting. Um, even David, so surely, I mean, he knew that he committed adultery, committed murder, and covered these things up, but the prophet Nathan still comes to, to tell him of his sin and point out, hey, this was, this was bad. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also might be tempted. There's a principle in Scripture that uh, we need other people around us to help us see the battles that we're facing. And that just stuck out to me when I was reading it. Okay, so we're going to look at Jehoshaphat's response. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. How many of you have ever been afraid? <laughs> Probably everybody, right? Should get some participation here. Um, remember, Jehoshaphat was courageous in the ways of the Lord, and yet his first response, fear, afraid. So the initial diagnosis of cancer, uh, when we first heard about COVID, hard things that we face, when our initial response is fear, don't beat yourself up, okay? Some really great people had a, at least an initial response of fear, but it's, it's what we do with that then and where we go from there. So we're going to see what he did. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. When this good king was threatened by war, when the enemy was seeking him, he chose to seek the Lord. There's a great principle there that we should do the same. He sought the Lord when things were good and when things looked grim, like in this situation. And there's such an emphasis on seeking the Lord. In fact, I'm going to make you say it with me. So three times here within this little text, it says, he set his face to seek the Lord. Judah assembled to seek the Lord. 
And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So we're going to seek the Lord, right? We're going to seek the Lord when the enemy threatens. And we're, we're threatened by plenty of battles, right? Sometimes our internal battles, our own sin nature, my own sin nature battles against me. And I have things that I have to fight against. Sometimes it's outside forces, the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms that we fight against as well. Okay, so we seek the Lord, but what does that really look like? And I think what we have here is some great examples of what it looks like to seek the Lord. The first way that Jehoshaphat seeks the Lord is through fasting. He proclaims a fast. It's kind of like the first step of seeking the Lord. We need to get rid of distractions when we're seeking the Lord. And, and some people in modern fast, they do the, the fast from technology. So I can stop scrolling for a while and seek the Lord because I need His help. I need to get rid of distractions. Now, I rarely fast, um, but I wish I did more. And hopefully, after preaching this more often, I will fast. Uh, in fasting, I deprive myself of physical appetites. It, it heightens the awareness of the spiritual. My body hungers for food, uh, so my soul also hungers for sustenance from the Lord. Fasting is declaring our dependency on God. Now, I fasted for wisdom before, but I can't recall a time when I've truly fasted when I felt like there's an enemy pressing and there's a battle that I'm facing. So hopefully next time I face a big battle, I'm going to turn to fasting. That's a good way to seek the Lord. And I love the idea of fasting together. So he called the whole nation. Come together, we're going to fast, we're going to seek the Lord together. And there's strength in those numbers, I think. Um, it's good when we're facing similar temptations, similar struggles, similar battles, to find other people that we can seek the Lord together with and fast together. There's strength in seeking the Lord through fasting together. So another way that we see Jehoshaphat seek the Lord when this enemy threatens is through prayer. And fasting and prayer, they kind of always go together, right? This is an amazing prayer that we can learn a lot from. So what I want to do is I want to read the prayer and then I'm going to go back and we're going to look at a few things that I see in this prayer. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and of Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great prayer. In this prayer, I see uh, in prayer, in his example, in the prayer that we should pray when we face battles, we should declare God's power. The prayer is a reminder of who's in charge. It's a reminder that God is sovereign. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might. The Lord is mighty to save. He is strong. He's a mighty warrior. He's powerful. With his voice, he created the entire universe. 
He is the God of resurrection power. He defeated death and sin for us. If he has power to raise from the dead, power to forgive us of sin, surely he has some power to help us in our battles, right? And then in prayer, we recall God's promise. I see Jehoshaphat recalling God's promises. He remembers if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, you will hear and save. He's remembering a promise, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and turn from their wicked ways, and seek the Lord, and he'll hear from heaven. He will forgive their sin. He will heal their land. He's recalling the promise of God. It's so good to recall God's promises when we're facing battles, when spiritual war threatens. In our prayers, we should recall these promises. So in my prayers, God, no temptation has seized me except what's common to man. I know that there's other people that are facing the same temptations, and you are faithful. You're going to provide a way out of this battle so that I can stand up, stand firm, and resist the enemy. God, show me that way out. Help me resist temptation. We recall the promise in 2 Corinthians 10. By the way, that was 1 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. The weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we have some powerful weapons that we use against the enemy. Obviously, prayer being one of them. And we remember the promise in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, tell me, who can be against us? Now, now own it this time. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm kind of owning it. <clears throat> and the answer is no one. No one can be against us if God is for us. No one can stand, can stand against Almighty God. That's one of the reasons it's so good to memorize Scripture so that all those Scriptures come up in your prayers and you're combating the enemy and even your own flesh with truth. And then I see this. In prayer, we confess our weakness. So in his prayer, Jehoshaphat seeks God. He's describing the situation and he ends it with this. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Right? We are powerless. Oh, how I believe God loves to hear this. We're not so quick to say it, though, right? As Americans, mm, not really powerless. Like, I got a lot of power. I'm confident in myself. I'm confident in my nation, my own strength. Honestly, we're prideful. We're arrogant. We're ignorant of our need and dependency upon God because we've been so overwhelmingly blessed with riches in this country. We forget how dependent upon God we are. And he loves to hear it. When we confess, we're powerless. We could use more of that in our prayers. Yeah, I don't think God hears it enough. We were powerless to save ourselves, right? When we were separated from God, and, and maybe there's still some in here that are separated from God because you're, you're thinking you're trusting your own works. Only by God's power, through the cross, through his resurrection, have we been saved. Resurrection power that saves us. We depend completely on his power to save us. And I think sometimes we simply don't experience this power because we're not admitting that we're powerless. Maybe like most of the way, God, I almost got this. I just need a little bit of help. You got to come in and just give me a little bit of help because I almost got this weapon, you know, this war. I feel like that's America a lot of times. 
We need to admit that we're powerless. Humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him to help. When's the last time that you really felt powerless? When is the last time that you knew you had to rely on God in a battle for chains to be broken? Maybe just this week you felt powerless. Maybe several times this week. In my life, I felt powerless many times. I can't think of any more prime example than when I was facing an addiction to pornography. I felt powerless. I remember praying, Lord, I can't beat this. I'm stuck. I'm powerless. You've got it. You've got to show your power. You have to break these chains because I'm stuck and I'm, I'm doomed if you don't intervene. Some of you, some of us, currently facing battles, perhaps addictions, temptations, and we feel powerless. I know it feels terrible to admit we're powerless. Who likes to do that? I'm weak. I'm powerless. People don't go around boasting that they're weak and powerless. It's so good for us to admit that. God loves it when we do it. In fact, God hates pride. We know this from his word. God hates pride. He hates it when we trust in our own strength. I like Jeremiah 17, the whole chapter, but I'm point out a couple of verses. Jeremiah 17, 5. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's what we're doing. When we trust on our own strength, we're turning away from the Lord. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. It's so good to confess our weakness to the Lord. Let's do some more of that because we're much more weak than we probably admit every day. And I love how this prayer ends. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So good. Will you say that with me? We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If you're facing something that feels insurmountable if you're facing a losing battle, overwhelmed by your circumstances, you feel you're stuck in addiction, um, if you seem to give in to the same temptations all the time, look to the Lord, seek the Lord, look to Him. Confess your weakness to Him and get your eyes on Him. You know, one of the mistakes that I made in, in fighting my battle against pornography was I was constantly looking at the battle. I was constantly thinking, I got to defeat this. I get this. Come on, God, let's defeat this. Let's, let's get this out of my life. And it was so helpful when I stopped focusing so much on the battle and started focusing more on the victor, on Jesus. He'd already given victory. So helpful. So for some of you in here, some of you I do know what you're facing. Some of you I don't know what you're facing. But whatever it is, maybe you need to hear this. Get your eyes off the battle. Stop looking so hard at the battle. Maybe you feel like it's just this battle against uh, the culture that we're facing. Stop getting your eyes on the battle so much and look to Jesus. Look to the Savior who is already victorious. So during my sabbatical, uh, we spent a little time in the mountains. I love the mountains. I feel closer to God in the mountains. Altitude, I don't know what it is. The beauty, uh, we love the mountains. But we thought, we're going to go whitewater rafting. Uh, Mary and I have been whitewater rafting before, and we thought, oh, what, a, what an awesome opportunity. Let's take our kids whitewater rafting. But we've been rafting before, and we did the class one and class two rapids, which are kind of easy, and you go in a little nervous, but then you're like, oh, come on. We needed something more intense than that. So then they have class three and class four rapids, like, and they, they have all these warnings, and like that's what we want. We need to take the kids. If this is like a once-in-a-lifetime experience, we need to give them that like intense, I'm a little bit scared for my life type feeling which is super fun and exhilarating. It turns out that most of these companies don't allow anyone younger than 13 to do those rapids. 
But if you search really hard, you can find a company that after July 4th, you can go on the intense rapids with kids as young as seven. And Adeline's nine and Noah's 12. This seems like a good plan, right? This is a good plan. So we go whitewater rafting. And the first thing we notice is that I, th- I think our guide is hungover. And he's missing a tooth. <laughs> I know, it, that, that's the truth. Uh, he had a paddle, though, that was different than the other paddles. Because he had spent like so many thousands of miles on the river, he knew what he was doing. He knew the river inside and outside. He knew it backwards and forwards, probably eyes closed. He was an exceptional guide, getting us through like places where there's like, you know, as we're getting up to it, he's describing now, there's going to be this place we've got to squeeze into, and it's not much wider than the raft itself, but I'm going I'm to be commanding you. And so eight miles worth of rapids, about two and a half hours, um, and a lot of it's pretty light and easy, but some of it's pretty intense. And during the light stuff, he's kind of teaching us, okay, here's what we do, like forward two. And so we figure out how we're kind of locking in all of us. The little kids are paddling. I don't know how effective it is, but they're paddling too. And, uh, and then he teaches us, you know, follow the intensity of my voice. When I say forward two, like you know, okay, all right, this is serious. We're going we're gonna to do this. All right, and there's, a, there's 60 yards of pretty intense uh, rapids. They might not look as intense when you see the video here, but they're pretty intense. And the other companies don't do those rapids because of the intensity. They actually pull out and then put the boat back in afterwards. Uh, but I just want to show you a video. It's about 50 seconds of us going on rapids. So you want to play that? So leave it there. I think you even heard him say forward one. It was super fun, but the next raft that went through, they get to that rock, and their raft starts creeping up the rock, and then they dump a bunch of their, their, their riders. So I'm glad we went before them, because I think had we gone after them, there would have been a, mm, not sure if we're going to do that. <laughs> it actually gets a little bit calmer afterwards, which is great, but if you were to fall off the beginning, it, it, it could be life-threatening. It could be a serious issue. And our, our kids haven't done that much swimming yet, so... Anyway, I, I share that story because I think it was a great example. Uh, we didn't know what to do. I, don't put me on a raft by myself. I would not know how to navigate through there. We would have been hitting boulders, probably a little like popped the raft and it would have deflated or something. And it would have been bad. But we had a guide who we looked to, we listened to, and he led us through really well, better than the boats after us. I'm thankful for that. When you don't know what to do, admit it. Let God know. Look to him and he will provide. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He is powerful. Okay, let's look at how God responds to this cry for help. So while all of Judah is gathered, they're praying, and they are fasting, uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a Levite named Jahaziel, and he says, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. 
I like that. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Those are words I love to hear. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. So do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. So the people humble themselves. They fast. They seek God in prayer. They declare His power. They remember His promise. And they declare their powerlessness, their weakness. God answers, you're not even going to have to fight. I'm providing victory for you. We're going to keep reading, but I want to stop and I want to ask a question. This is a narrative. How does this apply to the battles that we face? Will God absolutely do all the fighting for us every time? Do we just sit back and say, ha, look, I just sat back and didn't have to lift a sword and God fought for me. Now, as we see the whole of Scripture, I'm going to suggest not all of you are answering me. So I'm going to suggest that through the whole of Scripture, we have to fight. Ephesians 6, probably a familiar passage to many of you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, you might say, fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight against people, but against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual warfare that takes place, and it's a battle, and we have a part in it. God doesn't just always, here it is, you don't have to fight, just watch. He expects us to wage war. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, I mentioned it earlier, I'm mentioning it again. The weapons we fight with, so we're fighting, right? The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. We're not fighting with sword and, and guns. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. See, we fight. We fight with prayer, with fasting, with truth, with Scripture. As a, I'm going to say famous songwriter once said, fight like a man, Scripture's in hand. Anybody? Orange County Supertones? Looking for somebody that says, yep, I know. Somebody online, probably my mom will be listening and she'll remember. Oh, yeah, Supertones. God is on our side. He does fight with us. He does fight for us. But he also expects us not to just sit back and watch. Except for perhaps our salvation. We really didn't contribute anything to that. God fought that completely for us. He won the victory. We were basically his enemies while he was fighting that victory. Now, I love the worship through song that we see in the rest of the story. After God tells Judah that you're not going to have to fight, got a victory for you, just watch and I'm going to provide salvation. They continue to seek the Lord through worship. Their response is worship. Scripture says, Then Joshphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites, they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. How fitting is it to praise the Lord with a very loud voice? By the way, I'm a sucker. I love loud worship. I know some of you don't. I get that. But I'm not actually just thinking like the guitars and pianos and drums. I love loud worship. Sometimes when I'm up here and leading and the voice is so strong, I feel like I almost need earplugs just for the voice of the church. I love that. That's my favorite. It's appropriate to worship God with a loud voice, especially when he's winning a victory for us and helping us when war threatens. Okay, so early the next morning... 
they rose. Jehoshaphat, he addresses everybody. Believe in the promise. He's already said we're going to have victory. Believe in that. And now what I want to do is I want to, all the singers, all the worshipers, okay, I know we still have an army ready, and we're going to kind of go towards to them. Like, we want to watch God provide the victory. But we're going to put the singers out front. Right? Who does that? We're going to put the singers out front. It's like, okay, we've got a, a like state basketball. Let's let the cheerleaders play today. You know, not the team. Um, I love that he sings the singers out in front. And I think the writer is intentional about this. Some of you can email me later if you think I'm reading into this. But the timing, the way he writes this, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. At the moment they began to sing and praise, God sent an ambush and he provided the victory for them. I think there's power in our praise. There's power in our worship. I want to suggest that worship is one of the spiritual weapons that we have in this spiritual warfare. Uh, Another really neat place in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. So we've got Paul and Silas there in prison in Philippi because they were preaching about Jesus. And they cast a demon out and caused all sort of ruckus. So they didn't know what to do, so they threw him in jail. Starting in verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I love that. They're singing and praying, and God decides, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move right now powerfully. Now, Paul and Silas, and the interesting thing about that story is they could have left, like their shackles were broken, ready to leave, but they stay there. The jailer comes in, you know, he's ready to kill himself because he thinks everybody is free, and uh, they say no, and then they preach to him. They share Jesus with him, and then the, the Philippian jailer, he converts, and he gives his life to Jesus. We got the beginnings of the Philippian church. Really cool. But I love how Everything seemed to happen in that moment while they were praying, while they were praising, God moved. So, we seek the Lord through worship. We wage spiritual warfare with our worship. Because worship takes our eyes off the battle, and it gets our eyes on the victor. Worship was one of the weapons we have in our arsenal. We know, we've said this many times, we know that God moves when we pray. And I think also God does some powerful things when his people praise. I think often, yeah, God just works, and I feel it in my own heart many times in in moments of of worship through song where God enlightens me and it seems like he breaks bondage. It's it's amazing. Worship is a powerful weapon. Uh, Warren Wearsby, he's the author of Real Worship, and he says, Satan doesn't care what the church does as long as it doesn't worship. Once the church really begins to worship, then Satan's territory is under attack and he's in danger of losing some of his spoils. Have you ever experienced a a song in the midst of maybe an intense battle, anxiety, depression, temptation, and there was a song that really just ministered to you with truth? Um, Not necessarily the, the music of the song. I love how music helps take lyrics and it just helps take them even further, but the the truth in the song. I remember after our church split, and some of you don't know that, we went through a major church split back in Nebraska before God blessed us with this place. And we went from like 600 down to 200, and there was just just hateful speech 
and hard things and division. And there were songs that really ministered to me through that. And I think even especially the Psalms, the laments, the, the injustice and the, Lord, why? <laughs> why? What, what's happening? Those were uh, a good voice for me when I didn't have the voice, when I didn't have the words to express. There were songs that, that ministered to me. So I want to invite the, the worship team back up. We're going to sing one more song. See, we're in a spiritual war. Whether we like it or not, the enemy threatens. Uh, we're in a war with our ever-eroding culture. We're in a war with the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, don't forget our war is not against people, uh, except for maybe ourselves sometimes, our own sinful nature we have to battle and wage war against. But we're going to sing Battle Belongs. And part of the lyrics of this song, they actually come right from this scripture passage. The battle is not yours, it's God's. He will fight for you. So when we fight, we fight on our knees. We fight with prayer. So I want to invite you to sing with this. I'm going I'm to pray, and then I want to invite you to sing with a loud voice because God is worthy of our greatest praises. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you that uh, you fight for us. You fight our battles. You fight with us. You call us to, to fight alongside of you with, with prayer and fasting and, and truth from the scripture and to worship you in the midst of all that. Um, and God, sometimes, miraculously, maybe you do do all the work and we don't even have to, to lift a finger. Uh, but, but we know from scripture that you've called us to fight. So I pray that we'd remember that, that our worship when we, when we sing your praises, we look to you, and the enemy hates it. Um, I pray you would help us to worship all our heart, all our soul, and mind, and strength, and spirit, and in truth, and you would be pleased. And even in this song, that you would push back the darkness and break bondage, break, uh, break sin, the cycles in our lives. Uh, let it be a weapon. We love you. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.